Okay, welcome to the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast, um, the untold stories of the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community. I'm your host, Guru Nishan, and I want to welcome you to episode three, where we have another wonderful special guest. Um, before we get into um, our guest today, I want to share with you the intentions for why I started this podcast and um, share with you uh, the details. So number one, the intention is to break the veil of silence that has long permeated and continues to strangle the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community in the name of neutrality. Number two, to validate and help clarify the complex feelings of those who joined this lifestyle, were born and raised into it, and or have practiced or taught Kundalini Yoga. Number three, to encourage active listening to uncomfortable conversations from our community as a revolutionary act of self and collective healing. Number four, to let survivors know that we see them, we believe them, we love them, and we will fight for their truth to be addressed. Number five, to let teachers who are denying, gaslighting, or spiritually bypassing know that what they are doing is willfully ignorant and re-traumatizing victims. Number six, to stop the perpetuation of gaslighting and victim shaming by naming it for what it is. Number seven, to dismantle internalized shame, guilt, toxic positivity, and lightwashing mentality. Number eight, to speak to and shed light on the inherent racism, homophobia, and cultural misappropriation and exploitation that perpetuates the teachings, 3HO lifestyle, and overall community ethos. Number nine, to honor all of the parts of ourselves that have been forgotten or silenced. Number 10, to honor every body that has come through our community, named and unnamed. And number 11, to encourage people to do their own research, to process your own emotions, to get somatic therapy and other support as needed, draw your own conclusions, and be critical thinkers rather than just blindly follow anyone. Please remember that your story matters. Please share it when you're ready. We're here to listen and to support you. So with that said, I want to welcome our special guest for today. <clears throat> She's actually a second gen or a born into 3HO like myself. Um, her name, she, her alias that she goes by now is Gnosis Reina Mercado. Uh, Mercado, let me say that better. Um, but she grew up as Guru Ratan Kar Khalsa. She was raised in the LA ashram. She has a sister who is nine years older than her and she went to school um, an MPA, um, Midi Pity Academy in India, from the ages of 12 to 18, graduating in 2006. Gnosis is a certified therapeutic hypnotist and teaches breathwork and meditation. She helps people break free of fears, killing, uh, kill limiting beliefs, and shoot for the stars through subconscious healing and movement therapy. I want to welcome you, Gnosis, to the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast. Welcome, you, sister. And um, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate conversation with you. Yeah, I look forward to it. Um, so tell me just to start, why do you feel it's important that your story be told or that you speak out? Uh, I feel that, I mean, growing up in the 3HO, many of us were you know, taught to follow 
the rules, follow what our teachers, mentors, and parents were saying without question. Um, and any conversation about our upbringing is very important. Um, there's so many different perspectives, although many of us had very similar experiences, right? We all experienced this um, almost suppressed su suppression um, of our thoughts and feelings as we grew up. So, yeah, I mean, I appreciate you um, calling me here. It's, it's any, any perspective um, from different people is, is very important in this conversation. Yeah, <clears throat> I know that early on when, when things started to open up, your voice really um, rang, rang clear. And I, I remember li really listening to you speaking out. And I, and I don't know you, you know, I, we don't know each other in our childhood. Um, but I found that fascinating that we could not know each other and still have such similarities of experience um, from having grown up, even if we grew up in different ashrams and different places. So I really am grateful that you are processing so much and have in your life and are bringing it forward. Yeah. I mean, I started the Aquarian Phage podcast because I felt when, when I came to the realization of all the things that happened and the way that it were, um, and more and more people started to come out with stories I just needed. I mean, I always felt like more disconnected from the community in many ways. Um, but I needed a way to reach out to people and, you know, beyond what we were watching on Facebook, beyond what we were reading on <laughs> online. I, like, I just feel so disconnected from just reading things online in, in general. So, and that's how that information came forward. That's how we were connecting. So having conversation, actual conversation is very important. And, um, you know, it just so happened that all of this came forward through the pandemic. I mean, a little bit before, for some, some came to that realization and read, you know, Premco's book before, but for a lot of us, the realization came forward in this, you know, pandemic and uh, it came with a lot of confusion because of that. Yeah. So finding clarity through conversation is very important. Mm, thank you. Thank mm. you for that. How about you um, bring us back? How about you give us a little uh, a lens into growing up? What was it like growing up in 3HO and um, school in India or just any aspect? Like, where would you like to begin? Mm. Um, well, I mean, I, I feel like I had a very similar experience in India that many did. Um, but one thing I think that may have really impacted me um, a lot growing up was the way that my mom saw things, the way that my mom saw the world and, and saw that um, what she had chosen in this life 
in the way that she brought me and my sister up um, was the best and only thing available. Um, she, like many, converted to this path. And Can you give us some perspective and timing? So like, when did your mom join 3HO? And then when was your sister born and you? So we have a, a context of time frame. Hmm. Uh, I, so my, I can just say this, my mom, um, started in the Eugene ashram okay. and I think it was early seventies. So just after everything began. So right in the beginning. So your mom was there from the beginning, like my parents. Yeah. 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 Okay. And she started, she, I mean, she's told me a few stories, um, but essentially many of her stories are about how much clarity she found spiritually and emotionally when she began practicing, um, even before she met Yogi Bhajan, or however we call him now. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and yeah, I mean, they're beautiful stories, and I don't disregard them by any means. I see how much clarity this difference in, um, I mean, it's, it's a different way of thinking um, and it's a different lifestyle. And because of that alone, how different it is from the normalities of, of Catholicism or however else you were brought up, um, the stories that go along with it and that are attached to it bring so much like mysticism and um, an emotional connection. I mean, energetic connection as well. Sure. Um, so I see, I see how not just my mom, but many people could have seen this package as, uh, as an escape almost, um, or perhaps, you know, just that deeper connection. But, um, because she had that tie, uh, that this was the only thing, you know, that, that we could be raised with. And this was the answer to all of all the questions that came forward in her life. She pushed that onto my sister and I. My sister is, um, was born in 79 um, and was my, uh, I mean, I think, she, I think she was born like maybe one to two years, maybe one year after my mom and dad were married. Um, were your parents arranged marriage? Uh, it's an interesting story on that. Okay. Um, uh, almost, <laughs> in, in a way to summarize it. And um, they always had like a tumultuous relationship because of how they came together. Um, so I, I, I grew up with them married 
Um, but they were never in this like love relationship almost. So it, it was, I think because of both of their upbringing, they, they never really wanted to separate. Um, but then my dad died three years ago now. So, um, hmm. it's just my mom and, um, and since, I mean, she, she's growing in different ways. She's learning different things spiritually, uh, but is still in that 3HO, um, you know, <sighs> I asked her this question, do you think 3HO is a cult? <laughs> mm-hmm. And she said, um, it would be or I might think it were if it weren't for sick. Ah. And I think that's how many people see it. Um, but, you know, the more we learn about cults, <laughs> you understand that that is what a religious cult is, <laughs> right? It's pieces of this religion, beautiful religion, mm-hmm. pieces of it. <clears throat> shadows of it and fragments of it fragments of it mm-hmm. slices I, I i think what i hear you pinpointing is that what makes an excellent cult or an excellent cult leader is taking fragments of real truth from real sources and one of the best ways to legitimize is to house it within a religious historical religious institution that has real history and that that's so much a part of kind of the dynamic that you're kind of pointing a lens on that that we grew up around is um how our parents kind of like where they came from and found real truth and and how some of them are still kind of right there and i guess on what i'm hearing you say is your mom's still in like she's in this process now so she's very much still in the community very much a practicing 3ho seek and and you're not and so is there is that a that's obviously that how has she responded to you your processing stuff like that she i mean i have always been i mean i guess just different i've always kind of made my own decisions and it's never you know, been fully accepted by my mom. So we just kind of leave it there. (laughs) I step away in um, distance. So I do like live in in a different part than than my mom does, like in a different state, right? And um, it's not for lack of love and it's not for lack of acceptance of who she is and what she's chosen. Um, but it's just how I uh, am able to process my own and, um, you know, create my own uh, in a way. So there's, there's some acceptance in like, in an understanding of you're, you're just going to do your own thing. Right. But there's, you know, some, definitely has always been and it's, it's not really changing and I'm you know accepting of that 
Um, but there's never like a full acceptance of you are you and I am I. Um, so how was that growing up? Like when you went to, like when, when you got sent to India, did you want to go to school in India? Like give us some more context of like what it was like growing up. Um, mm -hmm. And then like how you woke up to starting to make choices of your own that seemed against the rules of, of order of what you were allowed. Well, I mean, I grew up in the LA ashram, which I think for many of us who grew up in the LA ashram, like it is, it was a very, and I think I believe it still is just because of the people that, that are there. Um, they're very committed to this lifestyle and um, some of them without naming names um, have trouble with their own emotionality and owning their emotions owning their emotions okay yeah, and take that out on other people in the community um like I, I actually i mean I, I had a conversation with somebody on the on the aquarian page podcast about that um how you know we feel that like mm -hmm like my way or the highway kind of mentality, right? And, and, you know, it's in the name of support and community, like this is the way we do things, but, um, but it, it is like overshadowing, like really their, their own emotion. <laughs> and um, so in that it's difficult to communicate with them and it always has been. Um, and these are like the, like, you know, some of the leaders of this like top main yoga teachers of like this that have i mean we know that emotion using having emotions at all was not acceptable in our community from the very beginning i mean even with emotion commotion all that stuff and and so we know that like gosh right our parents must be the generation that those that are still there they're they're it's a, a form of trauma right yeah yeah, absolutely. Um, so bring us back to like growing up. So you're born into this community, you're born in LA, you go to school, like give us a sense of like what it was like growing up in LA and then what it was like to go to India. Did you want to go? How old were you? What was that like? And what was India like? Well, yeah, so I grew up in this LA ashram and because of that, my family was a part of the, the community, a big part. Um, my dad especially would open the um, Yoga West sadhana room every morning. He'd play music every morning, every Sunday. So I was a big, it was a big part of the routine and, and the process and, um, you know, living the ashram life. Um, so there were main pillars. There were main pillars that making the LA ashram run. My dad was, yeah. And my mom, um, was uh, working, um, but we we would, you know, we would be a part of the community in, in many ways. Um, uh, so, but my mom, because she was working, put me into a private school for uh, my, um, like elementary school up until sixth grade, um, which, you know, gave me a sense of what it was like outside of 
the community, right? Um, but I wasn't allowed to really make friends outside of the community. I mean, I did have friends, but I wasn't allowed to like hang out with them um, until I was, I think in sixth grade, um, maybe, maybe even after that, like maybe when I came back. But anyway, um, like I could invite them to my birthday parties, but I couldn't go to their birthday parties, that kind of thing. Because um, they, it was like considered like a bad influence? Um, because, yeah, I mean, like I couldn't go to sleepovers because I had to wake up for sadhana. Like it was mandatory to wake up for sadhana. I, I, like my parents, my, both of my parents would go to sadhana every morning. So I had to also go to sadhana every morning. Um, whether, you know, obviously I, I didn't quite want to, <laughs> but um, yeah, it was a part of that. Um, so, you know, it fit the, if it didn't fit the lifestyle, then so anyhow, that's kind of how it was when I, when I was going to India, my choice was to, um, go to another private school for seventh grade, which was a little bit further or to go to India. And it was kind of like this given that I was going to go to India at some point. Um, there wasn't really a question. Some of the kids were going from, um, from LA. I think they were all older than I was um, at the time. Um, and, and actually, I made one friend who was the same age as I was, but I didn't know her until we went that year. Um, uh, she actually grew up in that Hare Krishna community mm. and was kind of just like a part, like her dad was a part and mom were both just like interested a little bit in Kundalini from what I recall. But anyway, they ended up, you know, be, being a big part of the community later on. I don't know if they started then. But so I made one friend that year, that first year I went. And... Um, Besides that, like I did make some other friends, but for the most part, that first year in India was really difficult. And I think it was the second year that I didn't want to go back, but I didn't have a choice. Um, I told them I didn't want to go back. And I think it was like, I don't know, just other community members that I had to have conversation with. I, I even think that they called Yogi Red. You're freezing. Um, I think I last thing I heard you say was um, you think we called Yogi Bhajan to ask. ask. Um, no, since you're you're cutting. It Let's see if you come back. Are you with me? No, sis, are you there? there. Hello. Yeah, you're cutting as well. I don't, I, let's try this. So uh, anyhow, I was not, 
uh, I had no choice that second year, even though I didn't want to go. Um, I was kind of forced to go. Now, um, did your older sister go to, to, she, early, to the early batch of India kids? Yeah, she did. What's your sister's name? Sakutar. Sakutar. Okay. Gotcha. Um, so she went to school in India and, and then you were younger, the generation that went to MPA. So she was in the first group that went to GNFC? GNFC and then Daradun. And then Daradun. So that was the first two schools and then you were in the- went from, from six, uh, six to 16. So she went to a few schools. So I don't know which- And she went at age six. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Um, so what is that? 80, 85 was okay. her first Um, so she was there when I was born. And um, then when, when you went there, was she still there? No. Cause she was completely gone. She has, was in the yeah. US and then what happened? Like, was she my still sister, in the Dharma? My sister and I really only lived in the same household for maybe two years of my childhood tops. Um, because she went to, to college as I was in, um, in India, right? So yeah, it was maybe two years tops. I think she, when I was still living at home, um, she was going to uh, community college. And then, and then she went to university after that, once I was going to school. So it was like, yeah, maybe two years tops that we lived in the same household. Um, she went with me for my first year to kind of settle me in because she wanted to visit India. Um, but yeah, otherwise I don't like we growing up, I don't, didn't know her very well. Um, and that was just the reality of it. Like, I, I don't really remember too many facts about her history um, because we didn't grow up together is, yeah, is the reality of it. Um, but yeah, so the, this, you know, summarizing the, the six years that I went to school in India, um, you know, looking back, I always have said, oh, yeah, I enjoy, like, somebody asks me, you know, who doesn't know a thing about 3HL. Then um, I say, oh, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed the experience and just kind of leave it at that. Like, I'm grateful for it, period. But the, the fact of the matter is, you know, talking to my classmates, talking to, um, you know, people I grew up with in India, it is that is kind of a defense mechanism for our, for our own experience mm. that we enjoyed. It was really like saying, I don't know, you enjoy taking a shit. Like, do you really? It's like, I mean, you, it, it's like we had to do these things in a way. These were, this was our choice this was not our choice. So we had to choose for many of us, we had to choose how we experienced it. And sure, you can argue to say like, you know, nobody enjoys the high school experience. 
no matter where you are. Um, but when you, the fact of the matter is when you're separated from your family, um, the fact of the matter is, uh, it, yeah, we, we either created a, a well-to-do experience or we were in misery. And, you know, it's probably about half and half. But we also were separated from our families. And that adds another level of disconnection from yourself, <laughs> from mm, Yeah, I mean, all the shame that was involved in how we would go to India, how, like, if our parents decided to take us, like, not send us, and they would be shamed in the community, um, is the reason why we were, a lot of us were forced to go. And that shame is held in so many of our bodies mm. um, in present day. Can so keen on that for a second, you're saying, I think you really highlighted a really important point that number one, that you're saying that because of the, the choice, the reality of children being sent to India, that your only choice was a defense mechanism, this unconscious or unconscious, a defense mechanism to say, I'm going to make the best of this. I'm going to spin this to be the best experience possible in a really fucked up situation. Right. And that the, even if there were great experiences to draw from the, the permeating heaviness of that separation automatically creates heavy trauma response. Yeah. And I'd also heard you say is that, the choice not to go, there was such heavy cultural shaming as a, a normalcy on the parents that it could also affect the child's wanting to go or being obligated to go, vice versa. Yeah, absolutely. And I still see that like in talking with people today, you know, the people that had the kids, uh, now adults that had good experiences there made good experiences there the kids that had bad experiences there hmm. are are and may still be dwelling in that bad experience not dwelling necessarily but just even shutting it down completely um well because there's no space for anything other than the positive experience, correct? Is yeah. like, do you feel like that was true of your of your experience or your peers in India? I mean, not necessarily. Like, we we definitely would we would generally be able to have somewhat of a good experience there like the, the majority of us but looking back now it's whether whether we enjoyed our overall time or we have complete and utter disdain for that time mm. is what i mean like 
of course, when you're living with peers, you're going to have some good, you're going to have some good times. You're going to have some bad times. And that goes with any relationship. Mm. It goes with anything, (laughs) Mm. but that level of disconnection from family and, um, and, uh, you know, the shame that was involved, Mm. um, the shame to choose to not go back, the shame to not go at all, the shame, just there's all these layers where shame was just permeating on every level. Our parents were getting doses of it. We were. And so you almost create behavior mechanisms to fit within and be accepted within that space or to survive, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, that's the, that is also some of the most beautiful things that I'm grateful for. Mm. Like, um, having meditation be a part of my upbringing, being able to be comfortable with myself in my body. Not everybody has that experience. And I wouldn't change that for the world. If I didn't have that, uh, that shown to me at a young age, um, I would not be able, I mean, I, I mean, I can't say I wouldn't be, but I, I would have processed all the things that I've overcome in different ways, for sure, mm-hmm. in different ways that I did. Um, now, on that note, I've heard some um, kids that went to school in India, like not be able to meditate or do yoga at all because it's linked directly to an abuse that they might've had there. And so therefore now it's linked into an actual like um, abuse using yoga and meditation. Was that your experience at all? Cause it sounds like you've created a real rich relationship with your own inner world and, and meditation and, and other modalities that have supported you since um, moving on. I mean, I, I took many years to rebel in that, in that state, like, to not to do everything that's opposite of what meditation and yoga and all, you know, everything. Um, it took many years to rebel against it, but I would always use it as a, as a fallback, you know, a somatic healing practice um, because I knew it. And I knew how to, to um, be comfortable in my mind and body. Even if I didn't connect with the way we were raised, I still had that ability and you know, feel that I still do and it's become strengthened when I came back to it, like when I realized that, and I'm not t- uh, talking specifically on Kundalini yoga, like I'm, I'm saying just the ability to have the knowledge of the mind and body connection, that like just that, ba- that basic knowledge, mm-hmm. that basic understanding. Um, that's what I was able to fall back into. Mm. For instance, like, have you ever done a float? Uh, like floating in the salt tank thing? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Many people are not able to deal with that, right? Yeah. Um, or, or even like an, an ice bath. Um, many people aren't able to deal with that. And these are things that I enjoy. Like I love being able to feel myself at the body level and that helps me to connect with my mind. Mm -hmm. um, Did you feel like you've come to that since leaving, since having to rebel and leave the, the lifestyle that you were raised in and like re-come back to it in a form that is uniquely right for you? Yeah, absolutely. And, and so what was that process from being in India? Like, did you, did you like leave right away after India? Like, did you experience certain things in India? And when you came, come home, you were still a part of the community for a while before doing that? Or have you, were you just kind of like rebelling against one thing a little bit at a time? You know, I, I, once I was 18, 19, and especially once I left my mom's house at 19, I, and I say my mom's house to be, just because that's kind of how my household was. It was both my mom and my dad's, but it was my mom um, who was the head of the house. Um, when, once I came back, once I left, I had left the community. I didn't really go to solstice in those years, like in those 10 years. Um, I, I didn't really, you know, I, I didn't really, wasn't really a part of it. Um, but I did start practicing and teaching Kundalini yoga again, maybe like five years ago. Mm -hmm. um, but I wasn't a part of a community. I was just teaching to people who were friends and then, and then started teaching at some studios. Um, but even when, I, even when I was teaching, I began teaching again because I started practicing other modalities of movement and yoga. Mm. Um, so I would always kind of incorporate other ways, like other, other movement, even though I felt some shame in the, in that, that I did that, um, that you incorporated other that you were like not keeping the teachings pure kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Isn't that um, fascinating? Oh, and I put that shame on myself just because it was like in, you know, ingrained in, in me, it was, that's what the brainwashing looked like. Um, but I still made that choice. Um, because I felt like that's what was right. You look at a classroom of people and if people can't move, period, how are you going to tell them to do, you know, <laughs> bow pose? Like, you, you know, it's like not, it's not conductive to a healthy experience. So, so it sounds like you were adapting, you were already making adjustments, but then you noticed the shame show up. And like, wow, there I am shaming myself because there was such a cultural ethos of, of shame on all these levels, whether it was how we taught, how we dressed, what choices we made, whether we made choices that were the right ones, anything having to do with self-agency. Absolutely. Absolutely. That. Right. Um, so it sounds like you were gathering your own sense of self throughout your experiences and even kind of named it even into your second year of India and then, you know, got the bombardment of what, what was normal, right? The, the 
kind of cultural obligation to make sure you go and then all the shame that the parents would get if, if they didn't send their children and kind of just that internal process. So you turned 18, you leave, you kind of left India behind. Um, is there anything significant that you want to share with any of the listeners about India or that you really want people to really hear and know? Because some people might have heard some of the stories and some people may not have, you know? Hmm. I mean, I don't, I don't really have much to say because I had uh, overall, yes, I just said that I created a good experience, but I like to keep it there. I don't feel like it's um, like, I believe I've healed the, the parts that were not conductive to a healthy upbringing um, or conducive, but I feel that I overall just, I, I like, I like thinking that I had a good experience there because what I've taken from that is, is, has allowed me to be where I am right now. Um, so, I mean, I, I do talk with my peers occasionally about like, about our experiences together, but I don't believe that dwelling in that is, um, is really going to change anything. <laughs> um, so yes, overall, what I appreciate from India is the connections that we made in that shared trauma. <laughs> I appreciate, um, and that, that is the connections of, of people, the people that I will always have in my life, um, whether we are in touch or not. We have this innate ability to understand each other. Mm. Um, I can call them up and we will pick up right where we left off years ago. Mm. Um, I can visit my good friends in different parts of the world. Um, even though we're li living different lives 10, 15 years later, we're still open armed for each other. And that's not everybody. That's the people that I made connections with mm. or that I have built connections with since. Um, I appreciate my experience in a different country and my connection with India um, as it is, as it were. I feel like not every, because not every American has that experience or wherever you're from, right? Because not every kid has that experience to go to another country. That gave me a, like a gleam of just a, of, a, of a need, of a want, of a desire to experience other cultures, mm. other parts of the world. And I mean, 
travel is such an important part of my life because of that. Sure. Um, I appreciate things more because we were in a lack in many ways. We were in lack of many different things while we were in India. Um, lack of family, lack of resources, um, you know, lack of comfort and many other things, right? But as we were doing that, we were also learning about Sikh, Sikh culture and the Sikh religion, which made us appreciate, which made me appreciate more the things that I did have, the people that were around me, the place that I was in. Um, yeah, so I did have bad experiences there, but I don't like to, there's no need for me to continue on about them um, because I appreciate it. I'm grateful for it. Yeah, I, I really value the lens you're offering in the sense that you're, you, you've pinpointed several things that you, you know, are, are just things that need to kind of like get into perspective, like this was lacking. There's no doubt about that. Now the experience we draw from that is the life of our own unfoldment. Um, so I, that's, that's really powerful of what I hear you saying that like, yes, these experiences happened. Yes, they were less than ideal. Yes, it, it was trauma inducing. And there, you know, I can still draw rich. Um, be, you can, it's what made you who you are and you're grateful for that. Um, I think that's so beautiful. Yeah, so my, <laughs> the, the reason I'm changing my name, right? My, my, I was born with the name Guru, Guru Ratan Kar Khalsa. I felt very disconnected from that name my whole life. Really, my whole life. I loved the way my dad said my name. Um, Brought me tears for a sec. Holding you there. Take your time. These tears are just that I loved my dad. My dad showed me lots of love. But um, now that he is gone, I wanted to, so I spent the last year pre-COVID, so I came back just at, at uh, just as COVID was, was hitting. So I came back at the end of February, and I had traveled for a year around the world on my own. Um, and in that year, so I left, obviously, after my dad died. But in that year, I, without knowing really where I was going, I, did, I went into these countries that are a part of my roots, my, my heritage, mm. my bloodline. And right before I left, I, I took a DNA test. And it turns out all the countries that I picked that I wanted to go to were 
in my DNA. And so my changing my name is me connecting to that wide, rich heritage that I have in my bloodline. Um, my dad was Greek. Mm. Um, so the name Gnosis um, is a name that I picked because it's Greek, but it also like in a more in-depth translation means knowledge through experience. Mm. Um, and then I picked my grandfather's name. He was Mexican, but I have like Spanish native and Mexican roots as well. Um, but my grandfather was a big part of my upbringing on my mom's side. So I chose the name Mercado to honor that because I felt so connected to that part of my heritage. Mm. Um, so I live now in a way that I find my own answers um, and question the things that are, that are put forward. Um, I mean, in a way we were brought up in this widely different culture than many of Americans. Yeah. But at the same time, both the American culture and this 3HO Sikh culture was still cultural appropriation. And it was still um, not the, the reality of where these stories came from. So whether you connect with, for instance, like Christmas or not, I always just like to push forward to question why that is even a tradition. Like why we do what we do. Why like do we want what we want? Like why we're interfacing in any aspect because so much of this is just gets implanted and we never question the cultural ethos that creates our patterns of behavior and thinking and these kind of what you started tonight with was this the myth, kind of the, the, the myth, um, the mysticism. That's what you said, the mysticism, right? Exactly. Yeah, I just, I think that's such an important pin because number one, like you said, we can draw good, bad, good experiences or bad experiences, but the point you're making about coming back to your roots with your name, I've heard this among the first, like this is all, removing our names, like our parents' generation where it took their names and kind of like lost their whole identity. That's also so much a part of the cult playbook. And so I almost feel like you're, you're circling back around and rooting where your parents, and not just you as you're just telling your story, but as an example of like going back to that heritage and say, this is who I am. I'm not going to whitewash my history 
which is a big colonial, imperialistic, and fascist experience to whitewash history, to tell, to, to white out the real story, and then this myth, mythical story, and, and one never questions that the story doesn't make any sense. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And there's a reason I didn't pick my father's last name, because it only goes back one generation because of that same white imperialism, because mm. of that because my, my grandfather, um, my dad's dad was, a, was an immigrant and they made him change his name on the boat. Um, and so it's like, I, I, I do that very intentionally. It's like you knowing where you come from in the longest way possible is a privilege. Absolutely, it is a privilege. But it also allows you to tell, to, to know your story a little bit more, if you have that privilege. And, and it's a predatory tool to take that away from you as a way to subjugate a, subjugate a people, a population, a culture. Yes, yeah. Digging into the roots as deeply as you can, like finding, finding them in that like earthly way, in that like very solid way. Mm-hmm. meaning blood and bones. Yes. Yeah. Um, not everybody has that available to them. But when you do, I just, I just encourage you to find those to question, to, to connect with them. Because um, it makes a difference in how you live your life and the stories you tell to yourself, to the people around you, to your children, future children. Um, it does, it does help with healing in many ways. Mm. Uh, Because once you know that story and however you interpret it, you can uncover even more. So tell us how that has um, been for you. Like you said you were teaching Kundalini yoga. How has the transition since everything's come open and the transition of changing your name and kind of like, where, where are you now in terms of the lifestyle, the teachings, your place in the world with this and kind of digging into your roots as far back as you can and creating these circles of healing within your own psyche and body. Yeah, so I don't teach Kundalini Yoga um, anymore, but I do um, use that same Kundalini energy in many of the types of classes that I teach. But I like to call what I put forward as, I mean, I, I teach both breathwork and meditation from different modalities, um, from traditional yoga, um, from shamanic healing practices, from um, uh, like native practices that were gifted to me in my travels as well. Um, And I move in many different ways in my own practice um, so the way that I teach movement 
goes along with these different modalities that I like and love to learn. Um, and so I put that forward in, in a way that is essentially just trying to help people understand their bodies more. Kundalini yoga as taught by Yogi Bhajan doesn't necessarily do that because it takes you out of your body all the time. Um, and, you know, these things that you're challenged to do, right? If you keep up, you, do, you know, you don't listen to your body, you don't shut up, like that, that is needed for some people. Um, but not for everybody. Um, so yeah, I, I take parts of what I've learned and do my best to create a holistic, um, outlook, um, and learning, um, process in, in what I offer, um, and, and learn on my own. I know from our conversations, um, you have a, a real body-based approach to healing and therapy and understanding that like these memories live in our bodies and that like what's taking place within the 3HO community and the breaking the codes of silence and speaking to um, places like, you know, the in, in, inherent racism or the underlying trauma patterns of distance and, and like the, these techniques that this is a, a small bit within the larger cultural context that's amplified in our world today. And do you want to speak on that? Cause I know as things started really breaking open in our community, it also started breaking open in the world. And it's like seeing these underlying shadows of stuff that's been there the whole time, but has never been brought into the light to actually do something with, to see in plain sight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, trauma is, not only what we experience in life, but it's also what our ancestors have experienced, what our parents have experienced. And when we heal through trauma in ourselves, that is just one level. It goes beyond that and it, it runs in our blood. Hmm. So our ancestors brought us through what we have are living now they they have experienced a very similar thing and the more we are able to tap into that in our bodies the more we can uh, move physically and heal physically the more we're able to heal in our mentality not just in our mind but our entire experience mentality and that that is how we stop that cycle of trauma um creating health and healing in the body in a complete cycle um is what brings us more ease, 
more balance and stops that cycle of trauma for future generations. Um, so yeah, what I incorporate is aerial yoga because it brings a big myofascial release, um, which helps with somatics healing. Yeah. Um, yeah, other forms of myofascial release. Um, uh, I, I mean, I also really think like any kind of martial art will help with that mind and body connection. Um, also those kind of movements that dispel energy, like I know you and I have spoken on um, Resma Menicum's book, My Grandmother's Hands, and have both been very passionate about that work because it relates so much to body-based trauma healing. But one of the things I found really interesting in his book that I think you might be able to comment on is how he said, um, when you are feeling elevated anger or like charge of, of a high nature, like an uh, uh, anger or rage, that what we don't want to do then is sit down and meditate because mm -hmm. you're turning that energy inward. And instead, what we want to do is do something that's expelling the energy out of our body. So you're kind of speaking to that with aerial or with martial arts, like when there's volatile, like vitriol, that we need to dispel it out, not sit with it and permeate with it. And I found that so fascinating in learning about trauma and wondering if you can talk on that because I was like, oh my God, my whole life I've been going inward with these really vitriol emotions because that's all we saw. Our yeah. adults saw that, our adults modeled that. There was no place for emotional connection or emotional expression. Well, I think for, if you, really, if you're, if you're guiding someone there, um, then yes, releasing that energy and, you know, Kundalini energy is very important. But if you're doing, if you're practicing on your own, you, and you have a basic understanding of, of energy, it, it's up to you to determine what that, what that practice looks like or what that, um, what will settle your body. But don't you think that's a process of like people having to learn, if people can't even identify an emotion in their system yet, Absolutely. we can't, we can't yeah. yet identify what modality we need. So having, having, guiding saying yeah if you're guiding like this do something that's like fit and resma breaks it down in those categories kind of absolutely yeah i mean if you're guiding someone i mean the first the first thing would be to see to to gauge how much if you're aware. guiding someone but more for yourself like if listeners are listening and they're trying to just get a sense of like, what does it mean to track trauma in our body or know we have traumatic experiences and figure out what modalities are right for us to stay in our body mm. versus I think sometimes we escape our body and we call it that we're, we don't even know it because the disassociation is so well normalized and practiced by yeah. so many of us that we kind of almost think it's just a normal thing. Right. I know that because a lot of times people will be like, oh, what sensations do you feel? And they can't feel any sensations in their body. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think it is all about 
finding finding where it sits and that comes down to questioning where it came from um where it began um if you know that you're excuse me Yeah, so if we know where the, the experience, where the trauma, where the emotion came from, then um, working through the body energetically, you would always go into a space of love and healing for all, um, for the entire experience um, before. Um, and that is how you can tap into your own energy. That's how you can create a a space of healing to begin with. And then once you give yourself that, that space of love and healing, you, you've opened up that space for love and healing, you are able to feel a little bit better. Mm. And um, that, that would definitely be like step one. Um, so you find where it came from and then you give that love and compassion um, to not not just the experience, but to yourself for experiencing that experience um, and learning what you did from it. And then you can start tapping into the body and where where everything sits and where there's blocks. Um, but of course it varies person to person. So if you have that, if you have that awareness to begin with, um, I don't think that there's just one way that, that you can say will work. Right. Um, if you are typically a very introverted person, right. Um, yes. Moving that energy is going to be extremely great if you're typically like very closed or introverted or you know you've collapsed everything inside you moving that energy is wonderful but if you're typically a high energy person and you're trying to disperse this you know anger negativity whatever it is perhaps that closure is what you need mm. um so I don't think that there's ever a one size fits all in, in any of this. I, I think it, it really is going to depend on the energy of you as a human and what that energy has met and what it will become. Where it's been, where it's at, right? And what it has put, right? I think that's really beautiful. I think you're offering us a gnosis, right? A new, not a gnosis of, of us becoming the authority of where am I at? And I can't figure out what modality is the right one until I can kind of engage what my system is feeling and needing. Um, so on that note, um, I know you brought a song to represent your journey and I wanna share that. And Gnosis is actually gonna bless us with her own voice and sing to this song 
um, or over this song. So um, before going into the clip, would you like to give us a little um, uh, preface as to like the meaning of this for, uh, for the listeners? Yeah, so this is just like one minute uh, of a song that I wrote to this beat that um, I shared with Guru Nishan. Um, it came to me and I just feel like I wanted to share it. Um, I call it Make It Happen. It is a story of letting go um, and being able to drop into healing so that you can go forward. Um, and it's not just about, it's not just about with anything. It's not, letting go does not mean ignoring. Letting go means you love and accept everything that you have experienced. You are, have give it so much gratitude. You give it so much love, just like you do for yourself when you're healing your body. But when you're talking about an exterior experience, you have to accept it for what it is. And that's when you can shift forward. And that shift can help you to understand that you have everything inside of you that you need. Um, and once you understand that, then you can move forward into the things that you are calling that, that your soul is asking for you to do that you have been put on this earth to do. Mm. Thank you. Well, I want to have you guide us out um, tonight with your, with your song. So before that, do you want to tell the listeners how they can uh, stay in touch with you and um, kind of like what you're working on, what you're excited about right now? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you can find me on, uh, on Instagram at nosisrena. That's G-N-O-S-I-S-R-E-N-A. Uh, I am building, you know, the brand Audaz Life, as you shared with them. Um, Audaz is a Spanish word that means bold, courageous. So living the Audaz life is a life um, of courageousness. Um, you can be bold, become bold, and step into your, your own adventure, your, your vision of freedom. Um, and connecting with your soul's purpose. So um, yeah, on Instagram, I'm mostly there, but also on Facebook, facebook.com slash audaz.guru. So thank awesome. you. You are bold and courageous and your healing journey has been such, and it really um, shows in your presence and in your, um, in the work that you're, you know, you're what I call the soul expression out into the world, how your soul is expressing itself. And I want to mm. say, I see you. And I honor you and I thank you. I see you as well. <laughs> you. All right, let's hear this beautiful song here um, that Gnosis Marina has shared with us. All right, and here we go. Thank mm -hmm. you. 
so beautiful. Thank you so much to our special guest, Gnosis Reina Mercado. Um, thank you so much for your voice. Thank you so much for your lens, your story, your healing, and your courage to do the work inside of you and um, to share your journey with all of us. So thank grateful. You, I appreciate you having me on. Have a beautiful evening. Bye. Thank you.